Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us here today. And, and uh, we're starting a new five-week series within our year-long Core 52 series this week. And it's based out of the book of John, and it's called Soar Like an Eagle. And that comes from classical Christian art, which often depicted the book of John with the, the symbol of an eagle because John's theology is very lofty. And it's a book that will help you soar. And so we're going to touch on some subjects over the next five weeks that we think can really help you soar in your faith. Let me ask, how many of you have ever seen a bald eagle uh, up close and personal? They're an amazing bird, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're big when you see them flying up close and, and just an awesome sight. Um, truly a success story, no longer on the endangered species list. Several years ago, I saw one right in between our, our church and, and my house on a pile of the sticks, which was very cool. Um, Gary DeGraff, a member of Fur Road, and he lives down by Spring River, not too long from here, one time said that there were 25 to 30 bald eagles in the trees across the street from his house. Uh, so th they come through this part of southwest Missouri at certain times of the year. But one of my coolest memories of a bald eagle is when I was, was fishing in Canada, and, and the eagles would wait for a walleye to, to come down and grab. And uh, one time I caught a walleye, and it, it swallowed the hook. And so when I threw it back into the water, it was struggling a bit. It was kind of splashing around, and, and an eagle swooped down and, and grabbed the fish and, and I'm sure went back and had a nice meal. It was a pretty cool sight. I want to share one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, which talks about eagles. It says this, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Okay, that's what God wants us to do. Not just to exist, but to soar. And he wants to help us do that. He wants to renew our strength. So uh, with that in mind, let's pray as we begin this series. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you that, that we have the opportunities to learn and grow in our faith and that you want us to grow. And, and I pray today that as we begin this series that you'll just help each of us to hear what you want us to hear and begin to learn what you want us to learn. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, our topic today is really important, but I'll just tell you from the beginning, it's one of those topics that, that's not the easiest thing to wrap our minds around. It's one of those that, that hurts your brain a little bit if you think too hard about it, uh, but I think it's, it's worth having a little brain pain in, in order to, to help strengthen and grow our faith, don't you? And, and I hope that maybe today will whet your appetite to dig a little deeper into what an amazing thing God has done for us by coming here to this earth. We're talking about the incarnation, okay? Some of you probably heard that term, but maybe don't really know what it means. Uh, incarnation, it's referring to the, the Christian doctrine that the eternal Son of God became a true human being in Jesus Christ. Another way to put it is that the incarnation is the embodiment of divine grace in the person of Jesus Christ, okay? It's about God humbling himself and, and coming here to this earth. Here's probably the hardest thing about it. And becoming a human, the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Okay, he was both God and man in one person. And it's not an easy concept. 
Okay, that's where the brain pain comes from. Martin Luther once said, the, the mystery of the humanity of Christ that, that he sunk himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. So why do we try to even wrap our minds around this if it's impossible to fully understand? Well, I think we do this because it, we can learn so much about God through Jesus. And, and in turn, we can grow closer to him and grow in our faith. And so let's do our best to scratch the surface on this rich topic today. Uh, the book of John launches right into this topic. He, he has a different kind of beginning to the book than any of the other Gospels. And I think this is really cool stuff. I'm going to read some verses from the, the New Living Translation. I think it gives a little different perspective on things. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then let's move down to verse 14. And it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Hey, who's the Word? Yeah, Jesus. And the Word has always existed, but then the Word became human and made his home among us. Okay, so you, you can see this, this was the beginning of Jesus being human, but not the beginning of Jesus. Okay, he existed prior to the incarnation. He was like the Father and the Spirit with no material substance. Okay, there was no physical body, but he existed. But Jesus lowered himself and became a man. Okay, he gave up his divine position. Listen to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What humility it took for God to do that. Max Ducato wrote about what Jesus did in his book called Jesus as he sat in his office one day. He said, I'm watching a family of black-tailed squirrels. I should be working on a Christmas message, but can't focus. They seem set on entertaining me. They scamper amid the roots of the tree north of my office. We've been neighbors for three years now, and they, they watch me peck at the keyboard. I watch them store their nuts and climb the, the trunk. We're mutually amused. I could watch them all day. Sometimes I do. But I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? Give up the Rocky Mountains, bass fishing, weddings, and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts? Count me out. But count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a, a furry tail? It's nothing compared to God's becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary. You see, Jesus gave up a place of perfection for a place of imperfection, a place tainted by sin, and, and it's truly incredible to think about. But the fact remains that Jesus wasn't exactly the, the same as us. He looked like us. He lived 
like us. He had a human body like us, but he, he was different. He was fully God and fully man. So, so I want to take a look at these kind of two main aspects of Jesus this morning, and, and hopefully we can start to see how this is possible and what this looks like. There are a couple of big churchy-sounding words called the hypostatic union. Okay, and, and hypostatic union sounds fancy in English, but it's actually a pretty simple term. Hypostatic basically means personal. So the hypostatic union is the, the personal union of the two natures of Jesus. Okay, it's the, the mysterious joining of the divine and the human in the one person of Jesus. And so what the doctrine of the hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in one person. Okay, Jesus is not two persons, he's one person. Two natures joined together as one. Okay, you got that? Okay, clear as mud right now. It's, it's not easy. But you can throw that on someone this week. A ask them, hey, you know what the hypostatic union is? And see what kind of answers you get. You can look really smart. There we go. So this concept was, was actually a really big deal for the early church. In, in fact, the early church considered the incarnation to be one of the, the most important truths of our faith. And because of this, they formulated what has been come to be called the Chalcedonian Creed, a statement which sets forth kind of what we're to believe and what we're not to believe about the incarnation. And so this creed was the result of a large council that took place in the, the year 451 A.D. in the city of Chalcedon. And, and it's been used as the, the standard kind of orthodox definition of the biblical teaching on the person of Christ since then uh, by really all the major branches of Christianity. So there are five main truths which this creed summarized uh, about the biblical teaching of the Incarnation. And there's several things that I'm going to go through really quickly this morning. So there should be a file attached to the video with a, a lot of this stuff on it. So, so you can look back at it if you want to. But five truths from the Chalcedonian Creed. Number one, Jesus has two natures. He, he's God and man. Number two, each nature is, is full and complete. Okay, he's fully God and fully man. Number three, each nature remains distinct. Number four, Christ is only one person. And then number five, things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. So in other words, things that are true about a human being are, are true about Jesus, and things that are true about God are true about Jesus as well. Now there were also kind of four cautions that came from this council when, when kind of contemplating this mystery. Number one, be sure to attribute, attribute true and proper divinity to Christ. Okay, don't make him so human that he, he loses his divinity. And then number two, attribute true and proper humanity to Christ. Don't let him lose his humanity either. Number three, do not so mingle the human and divine that you end up with a being that's neither human nor divine. Okay, Jesus isn't just this kind of hodgepodge superhero type of being. And then number four, do not dissect Christ so that there are two persons in one being. Okay, he's one person with two natures. And, and I know this is hard, and, and I think it's hard because we are, we're limited somewhat by our human understanding, and that's okay. We don't have to completely understand everything to know it's true. But let's go ahead and look at the two natures of, of God the Son, Jesus Christ. So, first of all, Jesus was fully man. Okay, let, let's look at some of his human qualities. Okay, he needed sleep. 
In one story, Jesus and his disciples were going across a lake, and it says Jesus was sleeping. He was taking a nap. Jesus got tired, just like we do. So if you need to justify a nap sometime, you just say, well, Jesus needed naps too. Okay, naps are a good thing, right? I should probably get a few amens out there. He needed food. Okay, after Jesus had fasted 40 days and, and nights in the wilderness, it says he was hungry. Okay, just like we would be. Of course, we think we're hungry when we miss a meal, but you know, Jesus got hungry too. And there are a lot of stories with Jesus that, that centered around food, uh, including the Last Supper with his disciples. He was tempted. Okay, just like we face temptation, Jesus faced temptation. Uh, in that same story I just talked about, Jesus was tempted in, in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days. Now, whether or not Jesus would have been able to give in to those temptations and actually sin, that's kind of up for debate. Okay, some would say yes, some would say no, uh, but we're not going to get into that this morning. But Jesus was tempted like we are tempted. He needed protection. Okay, Jesus faced danger just like we do. Remember, after Jesus was born, Joseph was warned in a, a dream to, to flee from Egypt, um, to Egypt. Matthew 2.13 said, After the wise men were gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Jesus faced danger just like we do. Here's one I'm pretty happy about. He perspired. <laughs> in other words, Jesus sweat. How many of you are big sweaters? Okay, you, you guys, not the things you wear, but, you know, liquid comes out of your skin. Um, you guys might be glad to know that the, the Son of God sweat too. Um, I'm a big sweater myself, and sometimes I think deodorant just makes me sweat more, but that's another story. But when Jesus was praying in the garden before he was arrested, it says that he sweat, his sweat was like drops of blood. Um, so that was an extra intense form of sweating, but Jesus perspired like we do. Uh, all of the regular things that a person does, Jesus did. Of course, he, he bled. And we know that from the cross. He, he expressed joy and sorrow. You know, he cried when his friend Lazarus died. He felt anger. Of course, we saw his anger expressed when he overturned the tables in the temple. He even called himself a man. In John 8, 40, he said, As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the, the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did, do, did not do such things. And so the Bible portrays Jesus as a person, just like us. Jesus was fully man. But Scripture also teaches us that Jesus was fully God. He has all the attributes of God. Let's look at some of those now as well. First of all, Scripture calls him God. The New Testament teaches clearly that Jesus wasn't just a man. Uh, Titus 2.13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that? Our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is referred to as God. He knows the future. Okay, many times Jesus predicted what was going to happen. Matthew 16, 21, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go, on, go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, Jesus knew what was coming. He's everywhere. 
One time Jesus was speaking about prayer when he said in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Okay, he didn't say there God is with them. He said I am with them, and only God can be everywhere. He has all power. You know, I love the story in Matthew 8, 23 through 27, where Jesus just kind of totally takes care of a storm. He, he just zaps it. Uh, let me read that for you. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. There, we talked about that earlier. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Isn't that cool story? Jesus was sleeping through this storm that they, they thought they were going to die from, and, and he just gets up and rebukes it. Boom, it's done. It's, it's an awesome miracle. And the disciples were trying to kind of process everything in real time. Okay, we, we can look back and see in the big picture and see that this, this was a one-of-a-kind man that was fully man and fully God, which would have been uh, just as hard to, to understand then as it is now. They're saying, you know, what kind of man is this? He, he keeps doing amazing things. And then he rules over everything. You know, right before Jesus left this world and, and he was talking to disciples one more time, right before he gave the Great Commission, he gave them kind of his credentials. Matthew 20, 18, he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, all authority. Jesus had all authority. He's always existed. Okay, we, we see this from John 1 that we already read, but, but we get another glimpse of this in John 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, this was a, a clear reference back to Exodus 3.14 where God revealed his name to Moses as I am. The Son of God has always existed as part of the Trinity of God. And he's our creator. Okay, Colossians 1.15 and 16 says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, the Son, Jesus, was, was over all creation. In him all things were created. So as we look at all these areas, we, we see that Jesus was also fully God. He was fully God and he was fully man. I really like how Mark Moore approached the incarnation in this chapter in your Core 52 books. And one of the biggest ideas about all this, and this is really important, is that because God came to this earth through Jesus, we have the privilege of learning so much about God. There's so much that we can learn. You know, other religions don't really know anything kind of about their supposed God. Because they're, they're, they're trying to follow this, this God that's distant. And, and most religions are, are really kind of based on fear. But we have the privilege of being able to learn about God through Jesus. Because he came here. 
in person. It's so awesome. So, so Mark Moore gives us kind of three important lessons about God from the incarnate Jesus. First of all, God is near. It's a truly incredible thing to be able to say that the God of the universe came near to mankind. We, we don't have to just imagine everything about God. We can see God's traits through Jesus who walked right here on this earth. And we have firsthand accounts of those who spent time with Jesus and even live with Jesus. That's huge. And then we learn that God loves us. Hey, we can learn so much about God's love through Jesus. It, it would be much more difficult to know and understand God's love for us without Jesus. Okay, and, and not only do we learn that God loves his people, we learn that God loves his enemies. Don't get me wrong, God hates sin, but he loves people. Romans 5, 8, it's an amazing verse. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we didn't do anything for him to, to love us. He just loves us. Okay, he, do, he doesn't just tolerate us. He, he really loves us. Okay, and Jesus showed us firsthand what it looks like to, to love our enemies through what he did for us on the cross. And then a third big lesson that we can learn about God from the incarnation is that, that God was willing to suffer. Okay, in most other religions, the gods are actually above suffering. Not so with Jesus. He suffered greatly on the cross. He, he didn't have to do that, but he loved his creation so much. He was willing to suffer even when he didn't have to. You know, just like most parents are willing to, to suffer for their children. So why are these three lessons important? God is near, God loves us, God was willing to suffer. Well, I think it helps us appreciate how amazing God is, but it's also a model for how to live our lives. Okay, think about it. You know, because we know that God is willing to come near to us, we should be willing to, to come near to others. In marriages, you know, one spouse often stays distant from the other. Maybe they're afraid to truly be vulnerable or or past hurts have caused them to, to pull away. Sometimes relationships are fractured because of, of distance. Not necessarily physical distance, but mental distance. Sometimes we aren't present even though we are present, if you know what I mean. God brought us back near to him through forgiveness. We, we had separated ourselves from him, but he bridged that gap for us. And that is motivation for us to to draw near to others as well. And the challenge is, is to still be willing to draw near to others, even if you've been burned in the past. Okay, did you catch that part? You still with me? It's, it's not easy. But God can help you do it. Okay, but God still came near to us, even though we don't deserve it. And then God's sacrificial love shows us what it looks like to sacrificially love others. Okay, we talked about this last week, too, when we talked about loving our neighbors. Okay, sometimes sacrificial love means loving people even when they don't show love in return. And we show the love of Jesus even when it's hard, just like Jesus showed us sacrificial love to us even when we didn't deserve it. And then because Jesus suffered, we can understand that we will suffer at times, too. You know, we try to avoid any kind of suffering at, at all costs, and we're pretty spoiled here in this country, to be honest. We're not used to suffering like there is suffering in many places in the world. But as you guys know, it's often through hard times that we learn 
and grow in faith and character. And, and we live in a fallen world that has suffering, that has pandemics and, and natural disasters and, and sickness. Jesus taught us about suffering in this world. So in the big picture, why did Jesus do it? I mean, why did he empty himself of, of what he had to come into this yucky, sinful world? Why did he do it? Well, he came to bring salvation to mankind. When the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream before Jesus was born, he explained to him why Jesus was going to come into this world. It is Matthew 1.21. says, She will give birth to a son, uh, talking about Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Very simply, he came to save us from our sins. There was no other way. We couldn't save ourselves. But you know, I have a feeling as we think about the incarnation of Jesus today that, that this process of the redemption of mankind is, is greater than anything that we can even imagine. You know, maybe it's even more than a baby coming into this world and then dying on the cross. Maybe the entirety of Christ's story, which includes his whole life on this earth and, and his death and the resurrection and the ascension and, and the second coming later, maybe they all kind of play a unique role in the redemptive part of God's plan. And so I would challenge you this week to go deeper in your thinking of, of who Jesus is, uh, to read and, and study and learn and just drink in the richness of God's love and grace. And I believe that when we continue learning and growing, our, our faith will stay fresh and exciting, and the things that probably aren't as important will begin to fade away as you grow closer to your Savior. And we will begin to soar like eagles to new heights in our faith. So let me read our main passage one more time. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then moving down to verse 14 again. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we, we think about this thing we call the incarnation, it, it, it's kind of hard to understand and, and uh, a little bit difficult to wrap our minds around. But, but Lord, I, I thank you for this amazing thing, that, that you came to this earth and you were fully God and fully man and what that means to us. And, and I pray that you'll help us to, to grow richer and deeper. In, in the knowledge of your love um, as we go through our lives. We thank you for being with us every step of the way. Lord, help us to soar like an eagle. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As always, I would encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with those you're with today, and, and, and let's focus on the incarnation of Jesus and, and what an amazing thing that is. Thanks again for joining us. Let's soar like eagles this week.